Well, hello. It is great to be back. I mean, America is amazing because everything you do in America is awesome. Um, so, you know, uh, some of you heard me say this before. You only have to order a burger in a restaurant and they're like, good choice. <laughs> and you feel so good about yourself all of the time because everything is awesome. Um, but it is great to be back with the best church family in the world. Because basically, you're my best church family, because this is where I'm called to be. So if I go anywhere else, that would be daft, right? Well, it's great to see you so enthusiastic. Um, Some of you are happy. Um, That's great. Um, Keep working on that encouragement from the kundo, the responsiveness. That's fantastic. Um, I've had a great week. I don't know about you. Have you had a good week? Good week. Excellent. Some of you, I know, will have been through tough and challenging times. um, But we thank God that we're here together, uh, worshipping together in his presence. I've had a great week. Um, It's been a great weekend, actually, because um, this weekend, my daughter, my second child, turned 18. I know. You're all thinking, how on earth could you possibly have an 18-year-old daughter? Um, My son, Luke, he's 20. He came up from university and surprised her. Maybe a few tears were shed in that surprise moment. It was very cute and I was very proud of my three kids and how they all get along. And it was lovely having spent years seeing them tear strips out of each other. um, It was nice to finally think maybe we didn't totally fail. Um, And we had a great time. We went out. We went out for a really posh meal together. It was really nice. My mum and dad came. um, But of course, if you go out, the big dilemma is what do you wear? Anyone been in that situation? You're going out, you know, should, should it go casual? Should it go smart? Um, you know, and it's a big ordeal, isn't it, deciding what to wear? Some of you take longer than others in deciding um, what to wear. Um, what makes a good choice? Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about making decisions. We're going to talk a little bit about what we call spiritually discernment. The art, if you like, of making choices, of making um, decisions. And we'll try and learn, maybe from a little bit more of a deeper um, story than than my little illustration of deciding what to wear when going out um, for an 18th birthday celebration. Although I think I did quite a good job. Um, Because discernment is necessary throughout our lives. Yeah? Discernment is necessary throughout our lives. Um, We make big and small decisions all of the time. I can't remember your figure. You told us a figure recently, Kofo, about the number of decisions. 35,000 decisions every day. Every day we make 35,000 decisions. Apparently, I don't know how they've worked that out exactly. Maybe you make 34,999. But about, I'm guessing it's about 35,000 decisions that we make every day. So all the time we're making choices. Um, But as Christians, we want the choices we make. And we know that probably 
on the overall scheme of things, I don't know. I, I suggest that Jesus is probably less interested in whether I choose cornflakes or Weetabix um, in the morning. Uh, maybe some of you feel the need to spend a good hour in prayer before you make that choice. But some of the decisions are, are, are slightly less consequential. And some of our decisions are much more consequential, aren't they? Some of them have a much bigger impact on our life. But ultimately, all the decisions we make add up to something and determine how we live our lives. And as Christians, we want to make good choices. We want to make good little choices that will all add up. So we want to choose not to have the sugar puffs every single day because if we choose every day to have the sugar puffs, it won't be as good for us as if we choose every day to have the all brown. Um, We want to make good little choices But also we want to make good big choices, big decisions, decisions that will impact our lives and the lives of people around us in a much greater way. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, says this, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. Paul is saying, I want you to live, I want you to lay your lives down. I want you to lay your life down as a living sacrifice. That is to say that your life is no longer your own, but you've given it over to him so that your life can be all about his good, pleasing and perfect will. You want your life to line up with his will and purpose for your life. You want your life to be pleasing to him, to bring pleasure to him. You want your life to bring glory to him. You want your life to point others towards him. That's your act of worship. More than coming and singing songs on a Sunday morning. More than getting the words right or hitting the key change. We had a few of those this morning, didn't we? Thanks for that, Yanni. Um, I do love a good key change. But more than that, more than that, more than the, than the emotional feeling in the moment, our true spiritual act of worship is constantly lining our lives up with God's will and purpose for our lives. 1 Corinthians, still Paul, um, just a few pages later, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So as Christians, God has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can discern, so that we can make good choices, so that we can work out what the good, pleasing and perfect will of God is for our lives. 
so that we can line our lives up. So he said, apart from the spirit, how are you going to discern? How are you going to make good choices to live a spiritual life without the Holy Spirit of God? But he's saying in the Holy Spirit, actually the reason God has given you the Holy Spirit is to enable you to line your life up with the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. So Philippians chapter 2. This is all like our preliminary reading at the moment. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 9 to 11. Now that's the wrong reference. It's very good though, isn't it? Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's pretty amazing. But it's not the reading that I wanted. Um, our, I'm not even going to try and find it right now. Um, but our discernment, our working out what is good and pleasing and acceptable to God comes from a place of relationship. It comes from a place of being close to him. It comes um, to being rooted in the love of God. So Paul says somewhere to the Philippians about being um, receiving the love of God. Um, the love of God being poured out in their lives and then being able to discern what God's will um, for their life is. Um, maybe there's a prize um, for the person that comes up to me at the end with the correct um, verse for that. So we're going to spend some time um, this morning looking at a particular um, character in the Old Testament, um, famous prophet of God, Elijah, and we're going to read about him in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. So I'm going to read... um, the whole chapter, um, chapter 19. So if you have got a Bible with you, it's really going to help you to read along with me. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel, that's a baddie by the way, sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now Jezebel, she's been like terrorizing the people of God. And so Elijah is basically being threatened by Jezebel. He's just made this great big stand on behalf of God. And he's like got rid of all these false prophets. And so Jezebel's really mad. And she's basically saying, right, I am coming after you now, Elijah. Like she's been having people wiped out left, right and center. And now she's like, I am after you. I'm coming after you. Elijah was afraid. And he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him. And said, get up and eat. He looked around. And there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and then lay down again. 
the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And then he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. I'm all on my own. They're all out to get me. I might as well be dead. Then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those whose knees have not bowed, to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha son of Shaphat and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him and Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back and he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate and then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Fantastic story. Um, A story that in different ways I'm sure some of us can relate to. But what can we learn from this story of God speaking so clearly to Elijah about how we might discern the will of God for our own lives? Well, the first thing is this. We need to find a place of peace and faith. Now, let me take you back to the scene for a moment. I know this is a trivial example and doesn't quite compare to what Elijah went through. But when I was trying to decide what to wear for um, Josie's 18th birthday meal, um, there's a lot of pressure. You know, I need to look the best out of everyone in the party, obviously. I need to be the sharpest dressed. Um, and, um, you know, we're going, to, we're going to a busy restaurant. I need to look good in front of everyone. Someone I know might see me. Someone might Instagram me or or put me on Snapchat or something like that. I've got, look, there's a lot of pressure in that moment. And so, you know, I could have like gone into a complete flap 
couldn't I? Oh my goodness, I've got to make a decision. What shall I wear? And then maybe, you know, like the Uber has arrived outside and it's like, oh my goodness, what am I going to put on? Um, We don't make good decisions when we're in a place of stress and pressure. And I find it really interesting in his slightly deeper example um, how... God takes Elijah through a process before he is able to really discern what God is saying to him. He doesn't immediately say to Elijah, Elijah's like running scared and God meets him under this broom bush. I don't know what a broom bush is, by the way, Um, but he meets him under one. Um, And and God meets with him and, and speaks to him. And you would have thought that he could have told him in that moment, this is what you need to do. But instead, he says, get up and eat and drink. And he strengthens him. And he encourages him. And then he takes him on a journey. And that journey lasts for 40 days. Now, you and I, when we want to know what God wants us to do, we want to know now. Yeah? It's like we've got to make a decision, and we're like, okay, I'm going to seek the Lord. Okay, right, here we go. Lord, what is your will? Oh, I've just not heard anything. Elijah goes on a journey for 40 days. 40 days of just trusting God. Trusting God that he'll bring him, you know, like for Elijah, it's like, it's, it's really amazing because he's having to trust him even for his food and his drink. He's like at 40 days of completely trusting God. God brings him to a place of peace and faith where he is resolved in his heart. I'm just going to have to trust God. I'm just going to have to do what God tells me to do. Before we can make any kind of decisions in our life, particularly thinking about some of those bigger issues that you need to discern. Maybe some of you are thinking about, um, is this a good relationship for me to be involved in? Maybe some of you are thinking about, is this the right career that I'm involved with right now? Is this the right job that I'm doing right now? Maybe some of you are thinking about, am I living in the right area Is this where God wants me to be? Maybe some of you have had a stirring in your heart and you're just not sure because you always thought that you would just like, you know, live overseas somewhere and and be involved in planting churches or, and is this, is this God speaking to me or not? Some of those, those bigger decisions, some of you are thinking about family and what God is saying to you about that. There's all kinds of things that we can be trying and seeking to discern. What is God saying to me? What is God's will for me in this area of my life? And I've come to realize this, that while we are in a place of stressing out, while we're in a place of anxiety, while we're trying to work it out all in our own effort, while we're afraid, you see, fear is one of the biggest enemies of faith. While we're afraid, while we're running scared, where we're like... Woe is me. Now, God understands all of that. He meets us where we're at. You read the Psalms and you realize it's not at all off limits to be crying out to God and saying, why have you abandoned me? Why am I all on my own in this? But you read the Psalms and you realize generally by the end of the Psalm, it's like, oh God, you're good and you're faithful. Because God wants to take us on a journey to a place of peace and faith. 
where we resolve in our hearts, even sometimes before we know the answer, I'm going to trust you. You're going to lead me. You're going to guide me. You're going to make a way for me, even if I can't see the outcome right now. 40 days and 40 nights, Elijah has to journey with God, being obedient to what he does know God has said, even before he hears fully what God has to say about the situation. Does that make sense? And sometimes that process takes time. Some of you may have heard about something called Ignatian spirituality. There was a Catholic priest in the 16th century, a Spanish Catholic priest called Ignatius of Loyola. And he had a way of talking about discerning what God was saying in terms of consolation and desolation. So he described consolation as that feeling of moving towards faith and peace and life and joy. So that sense in your spirit that I'm coming alive in God. And he talked about desolation as that sense of, I feel like I'm ill at ease. I feel like things aren't quite right. I feel like I'm moving further away from God's smile, if you like, from that sense of intimacy and closeness with God. And so one of the things he used to say to to, to Christians was, you know, one of the ways that we can take time over discernment when we're trying to think about decisions is you can hold a decision before God over a period of time. And you can try to work out, am I feeling consolation as I hold that decision before God. So imagine you, you I don't know, you're trying to decide, shall I, um, shall I um, move away from this area and go and live in a different area? Well, you can like make the decision without, without enacting the decision. So you kind of like make it loosely and you hold it before God and you say, right, I'm going to walk around with that decision for a number of days. And I'm not going to go around telling everyone because that's going to make it hard for me to undo that decision. But I'm just going to, I'm going to imagine, I'm going to try and imagine what it feels like to have made this decision. Am I growing closer to God? Am I coming alive in God? Am I hearing God speak into that and affirming that? Or am I, am I feeling ill at ease? Am I feeling desolation? Am I feeling I'm growing distant from God in my relationship? My point is, and and this is just one technique that one guy came up with, but the point is it takes time sometimes. It's a journey sometimes. Sometimes, yes, we can have a very clear word. We know absolutely certain. God speaks in the moment. But oftentimes, again and again, we find in the Bible, there's a process. It takes time. Some of us need to really slow down in the way we discern the voice of God. Some of us need to really take more time to be sure that we've heard what God is saying to us. Of course there's a flip side. Of course we can all become ditherers um, that never make any decisions. We're all too scared to make a decision. Um, you know, I can't decide. I just need to do, I just need to, you know, is it, is it the cornflakes? I feel like consolation. Um, is it the Weetabix? No, I feel desolation. No, Of course we have to make decisions sometimes. And sometimes we have to make quick decisions. But oftentimes we rush those major decisions that we're making before God. Let's slow down. Let us really truly come to a place of peace and faith. Now, just because you feel peace about something does not mean that it in itself is right. 
which is where some of the other stuff about this sermon is going to come in. But what I am saying is that until we reach a place of peace and faith, we're not in a position to make a good decision about what God wants us to do. Okay, secondly this. Learn to distinguish the voice of God. So Elijah was able to recognize because, you know, we just read this and it says, you know, there was a wind, but God was not in the wind. How did Elijah know? There was an earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. How did Elijah know that God wasn't in the earthquake? There was a fire. Now, listen, just the previous chapter, Elijah's greatest victory is like one of his best known stories. Um, you might have heard of this one. He's on Mount Carmel uh, and um, he's like taking on all the false prophets and, and they're like, you know, our God's better than your God. And he's like, okay, then, well, let's, let's um, put sacrifices out. And the one whose God answers by fire, he's the true God. And I don't know if you remember the story, he's like, he's like teasing them because the fire's not coming. He's like, oh, maybe your God's off re- relieving himself or something. And, uh, and then he's like, pour loads of water on his one, and still the fire comes and consumes everything. So God has just spoken by fire. You see, some people read this story and they think God will always be in the small, still whisper and he'll never be in the earthquake or the fire. They think that's the point of the story. It can't be the point of the story because God just spoke by fire. The point of the story is not that the way you hear God will always be a small, a small, still voice. The point of the story is that it might be a still, small voice. Or it might be a fire. Or it might be an earthquake. God can speak to you in all kinds of different ways. But Elijah had learned to distinguish the voice of God when God was speaking to him. So how do we do that today? Well, thankfully, the New Testament has given us a number of ways that we can distinguish and we can hear and we can test what God is speaking to us. And the first of those is this. Is it consistent with the person, with the character, with with who Jesus is as revealed to us in the Bible? Is what I think I'm hearing, is it consistent with the person and character of Jesus Christ as revealed to me in the Bible. Not the Jesus that I've invented, not the Jesus that I wish he would be, but the Jesus of the Bible. Is what I'm feeling, is this direction I'm taking? What's in, and see, this is where taking time is helpful. Holy Spirit, help me to understand my own motives. Help me to understand why I want to do this. Help me to understand why I'm feeling pulled in this direction what are my motives behind this decision do those motives line up with who Jesus is are those motives the kind of motives that God is calling me to be inspired by and to follow is it the spirit of God that's stirring this desire in me or is it my own flesh desire You see, we learn from experience, don't we, that our flesh, our humanity, the human me apart from the Spirit of God can get in the way of what God wants. I don't know about you, maybe you're a whole lot more sanctified than me, um, but I still find that sometimes my desires can get in the way of God's desires for my life. 
I still find that sometimes my desire, and it's not always like out loud and up front and center, sometimes it's just tucked away, isn't it, at the back of our mind somewhere, but sometimes the desire just to be comfortable, yeah, just to have a quiet life. Wouldn't it be nice if there just wasn't any aggravation for a while? Wouldn't it be nice if everyone was just peaceful? And he said it this morning. He said that we should reach a place of peace. I just want to be at peace. So I won't do that because God just wants me to be happy. Yeah? And is God really... Of course God wants you to be happy, but he knows how you'll best be happy. And you won't necessarily best be happy by avoiding all confrontation and by avoiding ever having to do anything courageous, by avoiding ever having to be the one who stands out in your workplace. Or So actually, that's not a great way of discerning, is it? That's just me wanting to be comfortable. That's just me wanting to avoid things. So I have to learn to distinguish between what is me and my desires and what is the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And that takes time, that takes experience, that takes getting it wrong sometimes. Yeah, learning from our mistakes, realizing retrospectively when the Holy Spirit says, No, that wasn't me, that was you. Yeah, anybody ever had that experience when they've realized that? One or two, and, and a few people who are not very honest. Um, <laughs> we have to learn. And that's where being in community is so fantastic, because we help one another to learn from our experiences. Because actually, there are a whole lot more people than actually put their hand up who would say, yeah, I've been through that. I've been through realizing afterwards that it wasn't God and it was me. Well, how did you work out the difference? How did... And God speaks to us all differently, but we have to learn how he speaks to us. It won't always be the same. So Elijah just had God answer him through fire, and now he has to distinguish, but this time the fire ain't God. It seemed exactly like the last time, oh, I know what I'm doing here, I've got this covered, I know how to make a decision in this situation, and suddenly God switches everything up, and it's different this time. And so we have to slow down. We have to take time to seek God. We have to reach a place of peace and faith where we're close and intimate with him and we're able to talk to him about what he's showing us and what he's speaking to us. And thirdly this, remember you are not alone. See, one of Elijah's big complaints was everybody else has abandoned the Lord and I am the only one left. And God says to Elijah, actually there's 7,000. Where where did they go? 7,000. But Elijah's like, I'm all on my own. I'm the only one left. And God's like, no, I need to remind you, you are not the only one. And we need to remember that we are not running this race alone. We are not trying to line our lives up with the will of God on our own. God never called anyone to follow him in isolation. But God calls all of us part of being saved, part of becoming a Christian, is automatically part, you become part of the family of God's people. There is no option. I've read my Bible several times. I cannot find any option of being an individual Christian. I cannot find a single option of being a lone ranger for the Lord. 
But he calls us into fellowship. He calls us into relationship. And one of the ways that he speaks to us and helps us to discern what he is speaking to us is in the context of the church, in the community of believers. When I was deciding what to wear, of course, much advice was on hand from my wife and my daughter. Now, interesting point about learning to distinguish the voice of God. Over the years, more recently, Judith has been quite disgruntled that the weight that I put on her voice has slightly slipped as I've realized that Josie is slightly more in touch um, with the latest trends and fashions. And just occasionally we do get a bit of conflicting advice and it's a very precarious moment deciding who am I going to go with? Um, my daughter, who I, who I suspect may have something to say about fashion, or my wife, who I've got to live with for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> but advice is on hand. Help is on hand. And we would be foolish not to listen to what others are saying. You know, of course we can become confused when we go around sharing our situation with anyone who will stand still long enough and they all give us absolutely conflicting advice. That's not helpful, is it? And that just leaves us more confused. Um, And of course it's also possible to go on the internet and to find the kind of advice that will agree with what you wanted in the first place. Yeah, we can all do that. We all know how to find the answer we want. Oh, I really don't know. You know, I I feel like this is the right doctrine in this area. I feel like this is the right thing to believe. Let me just search up all the people who say the same thing as me. And now I'm like, yes, I knew I was right. Um, That's not very wise. Um, But there are mature brothers and sisters in Christ who God has placed in your life. There are mature brothers and sisters in Christ around you that God has brought you into fellowship with. And of course it's not fail proof. Of course we're all imperfect. We all hear in part. We all prophesy in part. But God has given you those brothers and sisters to bless you. To help you to discern what he is saying. Sometimes we have a tendency, when we're trying to discern the will of God and we know which way we want it to go, we have a tendency, if we're honest, to say, well, I won't really kind of like talk to anyone else about it until I've made my decision. And then when I've made my decision, I'll go and seek some advice. The trouble is, you've already made your decision. So really, the advice isn't going to help you to discern. The advice is either going to make you think, yes, I got it right, or I never thought they had any idea what God was saying anyway. I've just got to be bold, and I've got to be strong, and I've got to press on with what God is saying to me, and ignore what everyone around me thinks. That's not drawing on the maturity in the body of Christ to help you discern. That's just making your own decision and trying to get other people to back you up. In Proverbs 28, verse 7, it says, A discerning son heeds instruction, but a companion of gluttons disgraces his father. A discerning son heeds instruction. 
Now, of course, um, God has blessed many of us with wise um, and spiritual natural parents and and of course that proverb would apply um, in that situation I would be foolish not to sometimes listen to um, advice from my own natural dad he's a great man he's he's filled with the spirit and and I value what he has to say to me but of course God has also given us spiritual parents in the church he's given us mothers and fathers in the house now I want to talk a little bit about leaders. Um, And I'm not just talking about senior leaders. If you all came to me with every single decision that you had to make, um, my life would grind to a halt um, and it would be an impossible situation. And you'd be like, you know, I'd be like saying to you, yeah, I can help you decide what to do about that in about six months' time. Yeah, totally impractical. But God has raised up amongst us People who we have recognized, of course it doesn't mean, some people just, maybe they don't have the capacity right now to serve in that way. Maybe theirs isn't the particular gift. It doesn't mean they're not mature, but nevertheless there are certain mature brothers and sisters that we've recognized as connect leaders or as pastors in the community of God's people. Now, my experience is this, once again, that when people come to me um, for help with discernment, I would say nine and a half times out of ten, they have already made their decision. Again, and I've just been honest with you, again and again and again, Kofo's nodding his head, he's been through the same experience. We sit down, I'd just like to get your input on this decision, um, and then they tell us all the reasons why the decision they've already made is the right one. Okay? Now, that's fine, we're not here to tell you you can't make decisions. Okay? But that's not drawing on spiritual parents to help you discern what God is saying. Okay, in Hebrews um, 13, I know, I went there, Hebrews 13, 7, it says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then in verse 17, it says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So leadership is supposed to be a benefit to you. Yeah? Leadership is not supposed to get the church institution exactly how the church leaders want it so they can have their nice thing um, and you've got to comply with that and make it how they want it. No, leadership is given to benefit you as the people of God, to help you to live your lives as children of God in a way that lines up with the kind of life that he wants for you, in a way that brings glory and honor to him, in a way that makes Jesus famous in our city and around the world. That's what leadership is supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be about us getting our neat and tidy services or running things the way they should be or making a name for ourselves in the city so that we're better than another church or none of that. Leadership is only supposed to be about us as the people of God becoming more the people that God has called us to be. So we have no interest whatsoever in trying to make decisions for people, but we do, as spiritual parents, want to help people to make good and wise decisions for themselves. 
If I was constantly trying to, my 20-year-old and my 18-year-old, make decisions for them throughout the rest of their lives, I will have totally failed as a parent. Because my job over the last 20 years or so has been to do my best to help my children to grow, to become mature, to be able to make good decisions, to live good lives as children of God who love him and want to serve him and witness for him. So I have no interest in constantly telling them what to do. And certainly they would take no advice from me on what to wear. The goal of parenthood is to produce mature people. Mature adults who can live God-glorifying lives. And so I want to encourage us to receive the benefit of leadership. And of course, if you're trying to discern whether to eat cornflakes or Weetabix, please don't call me. (laughs) And again, it's not just about senior leaders. It's about our connect leaders. It's about our ministry team leaders. It's about the pastors that we've recognized amongst us. And it's about mature brothers and sisters in Christ. But when you are discerning the will of God, particularly if it's a major life decision, particularly if it's something that's going to have lasting impact in your life and in the lives of others, don't wait till you've made that decision. Be brave enough. Be brave enough to say, maybe I haven't heard right. Maybe I'll just slow this down so that it's not a made decision, and maybe I'll just seek some input. Maybe I'll go and ask someone, does the Bible have anything to say that might impact my decision? Are there any principles we've learned in the scriptures? Are there any principles of discerning according to the spirit that I need help with in order to make this decision in my life? Are there things, perspectives you would want to give me? Is there experience and wisdom that you have gained in your walk with God that you might want to share with me as I make my decision? You're still making the decision. None of this is about control. None of this is about taking decisions away from people. It's about empowering God's people to discern wisely the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God for their lives. So, find a place of peace and faith. Learn to distinguish the voice of God. And remember, you are not alone. Amen? Amen. Bless you.